hello, this is Notes from the Back Row, a podcast like no other, different themes, rotating hosts, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Welcome to another episode of Notes from the Back Row. Before we get into today's episode, just a reminder to check out back-row.com where you can find links to our social media pages as well as our Patreon account where you can hear episodes like this a month early and get other bonus content as well, including an end-of-the-year swag bag. Today, I'm hosting Hoser Horror without Carlo because I had the chance to sit down with Jesse D'Angelo, stepson of writer-director John Fasano and son of screenwriter-author Cindy Surreal, who wrote Rapid Fire and Black Roses, as well as produced Fasano's The Jitters. John's films Zombie Nightmare and Rock and Roll Nightmare have been covered on a previous episode, which you can hear in the feed right now. Jesse got started in film, appearing in small roles in Rock and Roll Nightmare, Zombie Nightmare, and more. And in the 2000s, Jesse became a storyboard artist for movies such as Darkest Falls and Sky Captain and The World of Tomorrow. We chat about all of this plus more, so keep your ears peeled for a very exciting tidbit of information that Jesse drops about halfway through, and otherwise, enjoy our discussion. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's Dan. Dan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good to hear from you. Yes, thank you so much for doing this, first off. Of if there's anything you don't want to talk about, feel free to let me know as well. I don't want to talk about the coronavirus. Okay. I'm sick of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is everything all right over where you are? Um, I mean, it's nuts, like yeah. like everywhere else. My day yeah. job is working at a hospital, so everyone's even more paranoid, and I'm wearing rubber gloves and a mask every day. And so it's Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, it's scary, but... So yeah, we we should talk about fun, happy things to get people's mind off shit, like old, bad monster movies. Yes, so. amazing. I'm excited to do that. How about before we get into that stuff, is there anything off the top that you want to promote or tell the listeners to check out right now? I know a, a lot of podcasts, they save that to the end, and I wonder like, you know, if somebody turns off before they get to that stuff, I want people to be able to kind of say like, this is what I'm up to right now, make sure to check this out. Is there anything you want to do before we get into everything else? I don't have a, a project that's like ready to sell or or whatnot right now, but I am working. Like I'm working on a new book, my my first novel, uh, but it's still very much in the process. So, I mean, if anything, I could just promote myself on social media. Just tell people that they can find me on Facebook and Instagram, and kind of to keep posted on my future projects and whatnot. Um, but yeah, there's nothing nothing that I want to sell at the moment. Yes. All right. So as somebody who grew up, you know, with filmmaking around you and the family, I wanted to kind of start with like, what was your relationship with movies when you were younger? Were you a fan from the beginning? Did you watch a lot of movies? You know, did you love movies, certain types of movies as a child or? Oh, yeah. 
I I loved all movies as a child, everything from Disney movies like most kids watched to some horror movies that I didn't even realize, you know, most people would consider inappropriate. You know, I was watching... (laughs) I was watching like The Howling and American Werewolf in London and Reanimator and stuff like that when I was like eight years old. <laughs> so I was already, you know, kind of indoctrinated into it by the time we started doing our movies in Canada. But I, I loved I loved all movies. I, I would watch movies just like over and over and over again. Big fan. When you were watching those movies, did you look at them as something like? Because my experience with watching horror movies as a child was very like, I'm not supposed to see these. But for you, was it very like, this is just something that's really cool that I'm into? Yeah, my parents were very cool about it. And, you know, as they were both moving into making those movies, yeah. um, they, they were just, I mean, there is a couple things that they wouldn't let me see, I, I remember. But uh, for, for the most part, they, they taught me about special effects and, you know, I was on set and in special effects studios and I knew everything was fake. So they were very open minded and cool about it and let me watch most everything that I wanted to. So. <laughs> yeah. And so one of my questions you've also kind of just answered was, you know, as you got older and you started to work in genre movies, you started to do behind the scenes stuff, storyboarding and makeup. So this was something that, you know, you were always into from the start, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I loved I loved all movies like right from the start. Yeah. Um, I mean, horror movies were always my favorite, but I mean, I love action movies and comedies and as I became a teenager, I started watching like older classics like Maltese Falcon and um, you know Inherit the Wind and Twelve Angry Men. I mean, I, I would watch it all as long as it's good and not boring. Yeah, uh, I loved it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, and then you have some roles in your stepfather's films like Rock and Roll Nightmare and Zombie Nightmare. What was it like transitioning from somebody who's a fan of movies like this to, like, now I'm seeing one get made? The weird thing was it wasn't really much of a transition. It was just more of, like, an extension of my usual life. Like, before we even started making those movies, John would take our VHS camera and we would go shoot little home videos in the backyard (laughs) and around the neighborhood and um we made a couple because i was a godzilla fan as a kid and john was like a john was a huge godzilla fan and so he introduced me to the concept of forced perspective yeah where you could have someone stand in the distance and then put something up close to the camera and make it look real big (laughs) and he showed me that if we set up a shot where i went and stood in the distance and he took a godzilla toy and held it up close to the camera it would look like Godzilla was actually towering over me. <laughs> so we shot a couple of these movies, and one of them was called Jesse versus Godzilla, <laughs> and then, and then the sequel was called Rambo versus Godzilla, which was the same thing as Jesse versus Godzilla, except I took my shirt off and I wore camo <laughs> pants and I ran around with a knife in my hand, pretending to be Rambo, and we did all these fight scenes where. It was me fighting a force perspective toy Godzilla, and uh, and I loved it. It was, it was great. So I mean, we did we did stuff like that. Uh, we did stuff uh, with his Super 8 camera where he would 
you know, film me doing something like holding out my hand as if I'm shooting a laser beam, and then he'd unspool, he'd unspool the Super 8 film, and with like a little razor blade, he'd scratch the film and oh, make it yeah. look like laser beams were shooting out of my hands. So there's all sorts of stuff like that. And in the meantime, he was teaching me how to draw and paint, and my parents were both writers, and they taught me about like writing short stories, writing screenplays. Uh, they were editing magazines before we even started making movies. So I was, you know, it was a very creative environment. We were always working on some sort of creative project. And, uh, you know, on Halloween, we'd decorate the the, the front porch, and <laughs> but really, really go all out and, like, make props ourselves and do stuff like that. So by the time it came time to actually making these movies... It, it just seemed like another kind of big family project, especially since, uh, you know, most of the people who worked on the movies were either family members or friends of John, you know, my aunts mm -hmm. and my uncle and his various friends. So it was just sort of like, okay, we're, we're doing another project, and but this one we get to, like, take a few weeks off school and go up to Canada, and it's <laughs> going to be a real movie, and... and I just, you know, I was, I was loving it. Yeah. And how, how did you like going up to Canada at that point in your life? I, I always loved it. I mean, I saw the whole thing as an adventure. Yeah. And, uh, the, the only, the only weird thing was when we went up to Montreal and, um, and I couldn't figure out why people weren't, uh, answering me when I spoke to them in English and, <laughs> uh, you know, everyone's speaking French and I was like, I thought, uh, I thought people spoke English in Canada. And like, oh, no, no, not in this area jesse you know <laughs> so it was it was a little learning curve and yeah. you know of course we would always go in like the cold months mm -hmm. so like rock and roll nightmare and black roses and the jitters like they were all shot like either in november or december or january i mean it was it was always cold um but but you know i was with my parents making monster movies and doing all the things that i was already dreaming about so you know it was always like a big vacation for me what was it like on the set having a family member you know directing you was it just the exact same as when you were doing the super 8 stuff for the smaller budget stuff i mean it it felt the same to me like i was never nervous or camera shy or anything like that the thing is it was a slightly larger scale than what we would do in our home videos and I say slightly because, I mean, you know, you've, you've probably seen those movies. They're not, you know, they, they cost like, you know, Rock and Roll Nightmare was like $50,000. So there was, you know, a very small crew. And there were a few people that I didn't know, like local Canadian crew members and stuff like that. But no, I mean, I was like, you know, I was like a pig in shit. I was so happy, like, all the time. Yeah. You know, we're making these, we were making these monster movies and there was going to be like, hot babes in them and monsters and <laughs> rock and roll nightmare. I got to turn into a werewolf, which was yeah. my, my favorite monster. And I, I think that's kind of how they enticed me to go with them on that trip was like, guess what? You know, you're going to get to transform into a werewolf and it's going to be just like American werewolf and just like the th Michael Jackson's thriller video, and just like the howling and, we're going to glue stuff to your face and there's going to be air bladders and <laughs> we're going to do it just we're going to do it just the way they did it in those movies right as an 8 year old i had no frame of reference for what was good or bad you know i didn't know 
I didn't know that movies cost more than $50,000 usually. <laughs> so I had no idea. So I was fully expecting Rock and Roll Nightmare to look as good as American Werewolf in London or, you know, all those movies. I thought, I thought the transformation was going to be just as epic and, and all of that. I had no idea. Yeah. So uh, while we were shooting it, you know, I thought, like, we're making a real movie. It's a, This is the big time now, <laughs> you know. And then, and then the wool was pulled out from under my eyes. Speaking about something that you thought was going to be, it's going to look as good as American Werewolf. When you saw it later, were you disappointed or did you grow to kind of love the charm of the low budget effects like people that have embraced the movie do? I mean, I I love all of those movies and and I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the so-called so bad it's good genre and not not just the movies that I was in, but you know a lot of the kind of '80s movies that would be considered cheesy and bad and have bad effects, and <laughs> you know. But but I I enjoy those for different reasons. I I enjoy them mostly for ironic reasons, and and I can see what's going on behind the scenes, and I can imagine the kind of drama that they went through, and and I can kind of laugh at how bad it is sometimes, and or sometimes if there's a really good special effect. Yeah, you know, or at least really good for the kind of budget they have. I can feel impressed knowing that, like, hey, you know, even despite having very little money, they were able to pull off a pretty decent effect. So, yeah, I enjoy I enjoy all of that. But at the same time, yeah, I was disappointed as a kid when I would first see those movies, like, because you know, I I would read the script, or at the very least, my mother or John would kind of read it to me or describe what the scene's going to look like, what that scene's going to look like. And so there were certain scenes that, like, as they told me about the scene, I would envision it in my head being a certain way, and then I'd see it on screen put together, and I'd be like, ooh, that's that's not how I imagined <laughs> Like, I mean, one example is, like, I mean, you've you've seen Rock and Roll Nightmare, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's there's the scene where... Uh, Stig gets killed in the uh, in the bathroom by the the busty busty redhead who turns into a zombie and, <laughs> and whatnot. And they're describing the scene to me, and they're saying, you know, he's in the bathroom, and and all of a sudden there's this um, there's this beautiful woman standing in the doorway, and um, this like ethereal music starts to play, and her hair is blowing in the wind, and everything's in slow motion, and she kind of floats towards him, and it's really creepy and then she morphs into this zombie and they, you know they're they're describing this to me and meanwhile what i'm picturing is like the end of raiders of the lost ark where like the ark is <laughs> opened and like that, that one ghost flies towards the camera and she looks beautiful and then all of a sudden her face melts into like a skull face <laughs> you know or or the scene in poltergeist where um <laughs> where the mother's running down the hallway and there's that one ghost that's like all white fur and it's kind of glowing in slow motion. I'm imagining like this really cool looking thing. And then I see the scene and it's just this like static wide shot, brightly lit bathroom. And this, this busty babe is just standing there reaching her <laughs> hand like awkwardly in. And I was just like, Oh, okay. That's, that's not quite how I pictured that. Yeah. You know, 
<laughs> I have to think though, like something that you said earlier struck me when you were younger, you didn't, you don't necessarily as a kid watching movies like this, know the difference between good or bad. But I think what works about them and maybe what endures about them is when you're a kid, you may not know good or bad, you just, but you do know like cool. And I think there's an element of these movies that are cheesy and bad, but they're all full of really cool and imaginative things, even if, like you're saying, you expected that scene to be so different. But I think people like me and people that love these movies get that sense of like the passion involved in making the movie. I think that's what for me is the draw. Like you get to see a movie full of cool monsters and and ridiculous things and that still hits a cool fun vibe, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think I think the key word you just hit is is passion. You know, if you've got filmmakers, if you got filmmakers who are actually like care about what they're doing, and they really want to do a good job, even if they don't have all the resources that they really need, like, you know, money or great actors, but they still, they want to do a good job and they go out and they're passionate about it and, and they have fun while they're doing it. You know, you can, you, that fun translates onto the screen, you know, but then there are other movies where you can just tell that like watching the movie, like it was just a, drag being on set and nobody was happy and the filmmakers didn't care they were just collecting a paycheck and even the director probably thought like this is a piece of shit (laughs) and uh you know and and there are movies i mean the worst kind of bad movie is like the bad movies with a big budget where it's like it's a hollywood film they've got you know actual good actors they've got good crew people there's no excuse for it to be a bad movie and yet (laughs) and yet it is and you know that it's just a studio churning something out to try to make a few bucks and you know and i can't stand those you know but with something like rock and roll nightmare or even spookies like spookies i just watched the new documentary on spookies and like even though it was like bastardized and so much of it was reshot and a new team came in to, to do it, you still know that the original team worked so hard on it and everybody really cared. And even the second team who came in, like the second director, like she was, she was trying to do her best. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't really like the stuff that she did, but, she, <laughs> but she saw it as an opportunity and she was, she was trying you know, so like that's such a wild story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and movies like that, you know, also when you when you have a, a certain kind of bad movie like that, it, it's it's just as entertaining to think about what happened behind the scenes mm-hmm. than it is to watch the film at hand. Like you watch something like Rock and Roll Nightmare or Spookies and you have to think to yourself, like, what set of circumstances occurred to bring this onto the screen. Yeah. You know, what what could possibly have happened? Like what was it like behind the scenes? What what was this person like? You know, you you start you start painting a picture of it and uh, and the backstory sometimes becomes more interesting than uh, than the movie itself, you know. Yeah. And and I think Spookies is a really good 
one to bring up in comparison to John's movies like Rock and Roll Nightmare and Zombie Nightmare because they are movies that are lower budget and there's cheesy things about them and the acting is off or you know but they they are filled with that passion to make something interesting and fun and there's going to be a monster every 10 or 15 minutes or you know there's going to be something around the corner for you to look forward to even if it's like a, a cheesy thing yeah his movies have become a big cult cinema you know all of his movies are pretty big cult cinema milestones especially uh, in relation to the canadian horror genre I, I saw there was a revival screening that you did an introduction for um that was put on by cult movie gang on on youtube your your introduction was there but how was it sort of experiencing over the years this movie that was kind of an obscure thing turning into sort of like a movement almost well it's great you know people people are giving them um some more exposure and uh getting some more fans the the facebook page the rock and roll nightmare fan page is growing the weird, the weirdest part was for me. Um, there's, there's a YouTube show that I'm sure you and your uh, podcast followers are all familiar with, uh, Red Letter Media. Yes. Right. Yeah. And they, they do their show, Best of the Worst. Yeah. Which has, be- Best of the Worst has become like one of my favorite YouTube <laughs> shows. Every time there's a new episode, like I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> and so for, for years. You know, there'd be these episodes where every episode there's three movies that they watch and they're all these like super cheap, terrible movies or whatever. And I'd be thinking to myself, oh boy, one of these days they're probably going to come across one of John's movies. And uh, and then it happened a couple of years ago on Halloween. I see, oh, look, it's the, it's the new Halloween episode of Best of the Worst. And so I clicked on it and it came up and it said Black Roses. And I thought, oh my. God, they are actually reacting to Black Roses, and I watched it, and it was it was so surreal because here's these guys that that I love talking shit about my movie. Yeah, and the only thing that let me down was like they didn't actually cover any of the parts that I was in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, and then uh, next year, which was this this last Halloween, um, they did Rock and Roll Nightmare. Nice, and it was the same. It was the same situation where, like, it was Halloween. I clicked on the link. I was like, oh, boy, oh, boy, the new Best of the Worst is out. And I saw the the title description on the screen that that was one of the movies, and, like, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah. Part of it is because, and and I guess I might as well say this, uh, is that me and John Michael Thor and a couple other people have been talking about putting together a remake of Rock and Roll Nightmare. Amazing. Yeah, and I actually wrote a script, and I've done some storyboards for it, and we're we're talking to some people and trying to get it made. And I don't want anybody to hold their breath because <laughs> getting a movie made is a is a tricky proposition. So we'll see what happens with it. But the the thing is, is that like I I was just starting to get those wheels turning and had the script done, and I was making phone calls and I was getting all into the idea of doing rock and roll nightmare. And then that episode came out (laughs) and all of a sudden it was like all the wheels in the universe, kind of the stars aligned and came together. And, you know, like I'm trying to get this movie made and yet here, here are my boys again on best of the worst. (laughs) Now they're talking about rock and roll nightmare. And, uh, and once again, they didn't talk about any of the parts that I was in. (laughs) 
which is probably a good thing, which, which means that I probably did a good job. Yeah. Because <laughs> if I had sucked in those movies, they would have been like, oh, and then there's that kid, that horrible actor. Oh. So, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a good sign. And then, and then I, you know, occasionally will get a request to do an introduction for the cult movie gang or, mm. you know, I got contacted by you to, yeah. to do this interview. And it's like, I never expected any of this because, you know, these these movies aren't, I mean, they may be cult classics in some people's minds, but mm -hmm. they're the, not the kind of movies I ever would have thought that, <laughs> you know, would really have a following or people would really want to hear about other than a handful of weirdos here and there. <laughs> but there are a lot of weirdos out there who yeah. keep wanting to hear about shit. So uh, I'm happy, happy to oblige. Amazing. I, I do want to touch really quickly. You mentioned Black Roses, which I absolutely love. I think that movie rules. In terms of Rock and Roll Nightmare and Zombie Nightmare are a little bit more known, especially as you mentioned, Best of the Worst and and lots of YouTube coverage and stuff like that. Do you have anything, any memories about the jitters? I do feel like it's a little bit underrated on the the kind of spectrum of John's films. Uh, it might be. Uh, honestly, well, it's the biggest budget of John's films from Canada. Yeah. Uh, John, John, of course, went on to Hollywood and, like, became a, a successful writer and producer. He, mm -hmm. he, he directed a few TV movies as well, but... As far as his non-TV movies, his, his early movies that he made in Canada, uh, The Jitters was the biggest budget. Um, yeah. I forget how much it was, but it was like a couple hundred thousand dollars or something like that. But I think the reason it's not as well, well known is that it's not like a, a rock and roll kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like Zombie Nightmare, Black Roses, Rock and Roll Nightmare, they're all like heavy metal rock and roll themed and have, have a lot of music in them and... And that's all cool. Uh, the Jitters is, you know, doesn't really have any music in it except some score, which the score, frankly, is not very good. And, <laughs> and like you, like I'm sure you're familiar with Black Roses in that, you know, it's got a lot of like really cool '80s hair metal songs yeah. in it, but it also has uh, some like uh, some score that's not metal. It's just kind of you know, orchestral kind of score. Yeah. But all the, all the orchestral, all the orchestral score is like very kind of cheesy synthesizer keyboard kind of stuff. And, um, it's pretty bad. Like it, it's, <laughs> it's pretty cringeworthy. The kind of, you know, it's like, it's like TV movie, 80s synthesizer kind of shit. Um, but and that's that's kind of what the jitters is. It's got a lot of that kind of stuff in it. Um, but the jitters is fun, and it's got James Hong in it. And, yeah, you know that was, that was the movie that we met uh, Steve Wang on. Uh, Steve was a great special effects guy who yeah. uh, he had done the effects for uh, Predator and like Gremlins two, and so he was like a big deal to get him to do a couple of the uh, the monsters things for for the jitters. And uh, we all stayed friends with Steve after that. And, you know, Steve went on to become a director himself and yada, yada. So we had we had a lot of talent on the Jitters. And there was, like, some cool scenes and some cool stuff in that. Uh, but it's just not it's not as much of a fun ride as the other. Because, I mean, Black Roses, Rock and Roll Nightmare, they had so many, like, goofy monsters and rock and roll. And they both had some, like, sex scenes and whatnot. 
Um, yeah. The jitters was, I don't think there was any nudity or sex in the jitters. Um, there's vampires, but that's the only monsters mm. you really get. Steve Wang did like the one kind of uber vampire, which is like okay. a guy in a really cool really cool makeup so it's it's not all just basic vampires but yeah. it's not it's not as full of just wild crazy okay. shit i was gonna ask about that because i i didn't know that steve wang worked on that movie and i was gonna say is it uncredited or <laughs> uh, i'm sure he's credited okay i think it's, it's just a question of finding a, a copy the cop, like yeah you, yeah i think you'd have to like find someone who's selling it online and, <laughs> i mean if you're if you're into John's old movies and, and you like kind of B-80s horror movies, then, yeah, you should check it out. And I think, yeah, the, yeah it's got a – the DVD has a commentary track with John, and it's got a, like a gag reel on it. So it's, it's got a couple things on it. I mean, it's 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 fun. It's, it's not my favorite of them. It, it's the movie where I got to curse on film for the first time, so that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's I played awesome. A kid. I played a kid who like runs away from a vampire and I scream like, ah, holy shit. <laughs> um, and for some reason, John in post thought that um, my voice was, had gotten too low. <laughs> like, cause, cause we, shot, we shot the scene and then like a, a few months later, we went back in to do ADR and he wanted me to scream, holy shit, as I ran away. And so I did it. But I think he thought like, oh, it's been a few months and Jesse's voice has already changed. It's gotten a little bit lower <laughs> from the way it was when we shot. So we're going to have to like change the tone. So he, he changed the tone so it sounded like my voice was on helium. <laughs> and so like, so as I run away, it literally sounds like, ah, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like ridiculous. <laughs> That's awesome. I have, I have fond memories of, of all those movies. You yeah. know, that was... That was my education, and it was all family. Mm -hmm. So, I have some questions here about some of your behind-the-scenes work as we're kind of transitioning into that. I I did want to mention though, you in '87, you were in the movie Blood Sisters, directed by Roberta Finlay, who is legendary. Do you have any memories of of when you were doing that? Uh, that was my first movie, and I remember I got uh. I got paid fifty dollars. Nice. <laughs> that was my. I was like seven years old, and they're like, "Jesse, we're going to give you a check for fifty dollars." <laughs> You're like amazing. It was because they wrote out a check yeah. and they handed it to me. That's cool. I, you know, I had only had like five dollars or ten dollars to my name, like at most in my life, and here was a check for fifty dollars. <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, yeah. this is crazy." Yeah, that was that was fun, and I I remember. I mean, I was only in one scene. And I remember I had to do this shot where I'm like running away and they they had Roberta. I think she was um, doing the camera work herself. They they put her either on like a skateboard or they had rigged up some kind of uh, dolly and they were like pulling her along as I ran. And I and I just remember thinking it was so weird, like <laughs> running and somebody rolling on this cart in front of me <laughs> as I did it. So that was weird. Yeah. And, and also... That that's a movie that I take a lot of shit for um, because the like the scene that I'm in I I'm basically playing this kid asking this little girl to like show me her private parts <laughs> and I'm and I'm basically saying to her like oh come on Sally please show me I'll, I'll give you candy if you show me <laughs> and all this kind of thing and then the girl starts uh, screaming that I'm a pervert 
right? <laughs> and and she starts going pervert, pervert, pervert like that, and then I I run away. Yeah. And so like all all growing up, you know, John Fasano would like tease me, and he'd occasionally be like pervert, 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 pervert. <laughs> so like I had to I had to grow up remembering that. <laughs> but you're like I got fifty bucks, so. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah, and no, I've I've got my I've got my copy of Blood Sisters right here, and and I actually I bought a, a one of these packs of like ten movies all on one D for like two dollars. Yeah, and was, they're all cheesy movies. I was like, oh, this at least one or two of these should be some cheesy bad fun. <laughs> and I put on one. I forgot I, I forget the title, but as it came on, it said directed by Roberta Findlay. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, I had yeah. no idea. That's cool. And so she's, she's apparently done a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, so yeah. later in the early 2000s, you started doing work on movies like Darkness Falls and Sky Captain of the World Tomorrow, your storyboarding. Do you also have a lot of credits in, you know, makeup department and visual effects? I was going to ask if that was something that was a passion for you, but clearly, as we've been talking, it was something that from a really young age was a passion for you. But what was it like in the 2000s as you started to move into more behind the scenes stuff like that? I mean, by that point, you know, I had I had bills to pay and, you know, gas <laughs> to put in the car and the phone bill to pay and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it was fun. But at the same time, it was like, OK, I'm not just working on my family's movies anymore. I'm yeah. trying to, like, make thing. I'm trying to to get places with my career. So, you know, it was it was tough because like anyone trying to make a living in Hollywood, you know, you'd, you'd get a job and it might last two weeks. It might last two months. And then you're out of work, and you yeah. have to find a new job. And so there would there would be a lot of those things where it's like, yeah, I worked on Darkness Falls, uh, and I worked on uh, we're both as, as a storyboard artist and in the makeup department in in that movie, which was interesting. And then that movie ended kind of uh, I don't want to say disastrously, but let's <laughs> just say like everyone got screwed on that movie. Uh, mm. John. John was the writer on that movie, and uh, Steve Wang was also working on that movie. He he was the one who made the original um, Tooth Fairy that was in it. So so John was fired. Steve Wang was fired. They they brought in um, Stan Winston to do a new Tooth Fairy. So if you watch that movie, the Tooth Fairy kind of just looks like a a zombie woman. You know, she does she doesn't look bad, but she just looks like a kind of generic looking zombie. And Steve Wang had done this like beautiful kind of evil fairy sort of thing with wings, and it was like it was really really cool. And uh, and they didn't use that at all. And so like I I was in the position of like working with the director on storyboards, but then after the storyboards were over, I was also in the makeup department, mm. like just assisting Steve yeah. making his original Tooth Fairy. And then, yeah, we all kind of left with a bitter taste in our mouth after that yeah. movie because, like, all of us wound up getting screwed. Um, but Sky Captain was, was really cool. You know, that lasted a couple of months, and I did a bunch of storyboards and designs for them, and they were all, like, really good people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it's like you work, like I said, you work on a movie, and then it's over, and you have to find another movie, and 
sometimes there isn't work for several months and you have to go work at a restaurant or work at Blockbuster Video or <laughs> do whatever you've got to do to, to pay those bills. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was great in a, in a lot of ways because I got to work on a lot of different projects, um, but it was also frustrating because it wasn't yeah. like... It wasn't like anything just skyrocketed and my career became like huge and I was able to just fully support myself doing all of that. Yeah, Darkness Falls always struck me as as like I didn't know about that behind the scenes drama, but it always struck me as a movie that seemed to have a lot of potential in terms of like the concept of the movie and the fact that John wrote the screenplay. It always seemed like something that I wanted to like more and then I saw it at the time and was like, oh, whatever, but... Yeah, I feel like in that era of horror in the 2000s, there seemed to be a lot of, like, we don't know what to do. We hired somebody to do effects, and now we decided we wanted to do it on a computer. Yeah, it just seems like a very confused time. (laughs) Yeah, they didn't didn't really know what they wanted to do. The director, like, it was his first movie. He didn't have a clue. Um, (laughs) If you want to see, I'm actually online right now. I'm looking it up. If anybody is curious to see what the original Tooth Fairy looked up uh, looked like, um, it's on Google. You just type in uh, Steve Wang's original Tooth Fairy, and you'll see a, you'll see a bunch of images of of the suit and like test pictures and stuff like that. And you'll see like it it's so cool. It's wild. It's like a jo- unhinged jaw kind of looking. Yeah, really yeah. wild. Well, her her jaw is missing and her whole throat is open and with teeth and part of the in part of the makeup she's wearing like this uh uh like porcelain kind of mask and then the mask yeah. comes off and so it's like yes yeah, steve, steve lang doesn't do anything just like a basic yeah. kind of thing you know he, he's always like super inventive and creative and totally i think it was just too too creative for them <laughs> so that, and that was ups ups and downs as far as you know makeup effects and storyboards and and you also went on to doing some of your own directing a TV movie. You've done a short. Other than the potential remake of of John's movie, what else is going on now for you? Uh, well, right now I'm focusing on writing, partially because of you know frustrations of filmmaking, mm-hmm. just getting a movie made, and uh, you know even <laughs> if you want to make it. Even if you want to make a low-budget movie, you're still looking at like maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars, mm. unless you want like super low budget. Like I know I know a few filmmakers who make films for like ten grand or something yeah. like that, and and that that's fine for them. But you know, I, I really wanted to do something that's uh, more substantial, and in order to do that, you need serious money. And getting serious money is uh, is a trick. Getting a lot of people behind you is a trick. Um, however, writing something like writing a novel, you know, it's it's a singular enterprise. You know, mm-hmm. you you create that final product yourself. You don't need a whole crew of people and uh, lots of money to do it. You just need your own time and your own skill. So, uh, so right now I'm I'm focusing on writing my first novel. Um, you know, I've I've written a whole bunch of screenplays and nice. uh, haven't gotten one of them produced. You know, but. <laughs> I've written screenplays and short stories and whatnot, so I've been writing all my life. I just haven't uh, actually sat down and written a novel. So I yeah. thought, you know what, let me actually do this and get something out there, you know. So that that's what I'm working on at the moment. 
Did I see somewhere online that you had um, a book that was like a visual novel of some sort? Yeah, I, well, I did a I did a graphic novel that okay. was um, all all Photoshop of actors rather than drawing it out, which I, I considered maybe a, I'll draw it, mm-hmm. but um, but then we thought, well, let's let's do something different. Let's actually get actors together and. Um, shoot it as if we're shooting a movie but we'll shoot it with still images mm. and I'll just pho- I'll photoshop the still photos and like put special effects on them and then put it into like a comic book format. Yeah, that's cool. So so we did that like in I think 2001 or okay. something. And it was an interesting experiment yeah. uh, and just self-published that. So, but I mean like I'm I'm always doing like I'm I'm working as just an artist mm-hmm. doing like company logos and illustrations for various people, you know, just freelance kind of stuff. Yeah. And doing some cool new stuff. I've also worked with like police departments doing like composite sketches oh. uh, for, for crime investigations and stuff like that. Interesting. So I do, uh, I do various, various stuff like that. You know, <laughs> same yeah. Totally. And like I said, we might, we might be announcing a, Rock and Roll Nightmare remake, um, and we're also possibly going to be doing a new Blu-ray collector's edition of Rock and Roll Nightmare. Oh, cool! Um, get, getting everyone together and do a new um, documentary and new commentaries and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So that could be something to look forward to. Yeah. As well. Well, I am super excited about that news and also the news of a potential trying to get something off the ground for a remake. I think that would be really fun. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Or as we wrap up, is there anything else? You know, I know you mentioned that you can be followed on the Internet, on social media. You're on Facebook and Instagram, you said? Yep, you, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and, and stay tuned for whatever projects I'm doing Uh I'm posting updates on uh, my various art gigs that I do, and mm. soon enough I'll be posting updates on this book whenever uh, whenever I finish it. But I'm st- I'm still in the process of writing uh, the first draft. Okay. So uh, yeah, hopefully soon I'll have something to actually announce about okay. that. But at the moment, m- the moment I got nothing nothing <laughs> I'm trying to sell. Okay. Well, I'll be sure to include the links to social media in the notes to our podcast when it launches so that people can follow you and keep their ear to the ground about those projects for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much for this phone call. Um, I really yeah, appreciate no it. It's been amazing. Thank you. Thank you.